Welcome into 49ers Access. My name is Sterling Bennett, and today we are finally back. Season 4 is kicking off. The NFL Draft just happened. San Francisco took nine players. Yes, nine players came into this past weekend with 11 draft picks, came out with nine, and we are going to do a deep dive into every single player the San Francisco 49ers picked in this year's the 2023 NFL Draft. We're going to give some draft grades, and we're going to go through each player. Did I like it? Did I hate it? Which pick did I like the most? Which player would I classify as a draft steal? And which pick, which player, do I have a bona fide F grade next to? I do not understand the pick. We are going to dive into all of that today. But first... Please hit that like button. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe, and leave a review on the podcast if you're listening on the audio version. But if you're watching on YouTube for the first time ever, thank you for joining us today. My name is Sterling Bennett, and let's dive right into the San Francisco 49ers 2023 draft class right here on the 49er Access podcast. And without further ado, with the 87th overall pick in the third round, the San Francisco 49ers drafted safety Jaya Brown from Penn State. And many people on Twitter and in the fan base would say, I love this pick. I, this pick is amazing. He's going to be the, the, the surpasser. He's going to replace eventually Tayshawn Gibson once he retires in what seems like one year's time. He's getting older. Jaya Brown's going to step in next to Talanoa Hufunga. And it's going to be awesome. And to that, I say, well, kind of. And I want to say I give Jair Brown, I give this pick a B-. Let me explain. So, I like Jair Brown. In fact, after sleeping on this pick, after questioning it when it happened immediately, I slept on it, and I do like this pick a lot more than I initially did. That being said, I do have some questions regarding the fit of Jair Brown on this defense, and so let's dive in. So Jair Brown, the player, he is a line of scrimmage monster. You can put him in the box. He has amazing ball skills. He has a knack for interceptions. He had 10, 10 interceptions in his college career. I believe that ranks most in the Big Ten over that span from 2020 to 2022. Like Jair Brown is a playmaking safety. There's no if, ands, or buts about that, but when it comes down to who Jair Brown is as a player and what San Francisco needs on defense, I don't necessarily know if he fits what they need, again, need, this year. If I'm San Francisco, or if I'm you, for example, and including myself in this, I thought San Francisco, you have Talanoa Hufunga, an all-pro this year, had a phenomenal sophomore season, a player that likes to take risks. A lot of them do indeed pay off, but does like to take risks. And where he struggles is pass coverage, balls over his head. How do you, if you're an opposing offense, and Talanoa Hufunga is on the field, you know there's going to be opportunities down the field to hit big plays. The Dolphins, the Chiefs, Offenses just like that, the Eagles, who had an amazing draft this year. If I'm San Francisco, I would have targeted a player that is amazing in pass coverage, can get on the field this year as a free safety, and I don't think Jair Brown is that, at least right now. Doesn't mean he can't become that, doesn't mean that with Tishon Gibson's help and the amazing defense San Francisco has up front, that with their aid, he can't become a great or really good free safety, but... He's a slower safety that plays with... He has a ton of energy. Again, likes to attack the ball in the box, line of scrimmage, in his own red zone. Like, he's going to make plays for this defense. But, I don't think right now you can play him across from Taunoa Hufunga and get away with it. Like, slot receivers are going to burn him downfield. He's not Jimmy Ward 2.0. He does not have nickel and free safety flexibility. He's just not that guy. That being said, if you're San Francisco, and this is how I talked myself into this pick, B 
because if you're San Francisco, what is you're sitting there at 87, or I guess in this case 102, and you see a player like Jair Brown on the board, and you say he has, or out of the safeties left, he is the one player that has elite traits. I need to get that guy. And I think that's what San Francisco did. They liked him as a person. It's a big thing for San Francisco. He's a big team first guy. They love those kind of players. And when you're sitting there at 102 and 99 and 101, you know you are not. it's very hard to find a player that late in the third round that's going to be one starting caliber come day one and two still has elite traits that other players have not targeted or are not trying to get in front of you for. And San Francisco traded up to 87, seeing Jair Brown was the last safety on the board that has elite ball skills. That's why they made this move. It wasn't because he's an amazing free safety. It wasn't because he's a day one starter. They saw a player that can get the offense the ball back. They saw a player that could, down the stretch this year, be on that field with Talanoa Hufunga. But right now, I do not think you can play both of them at free safety and strong safety. They might be a liability. Because Jaya Brown, he's not great in coverage. He likes to attack. He's a player very similar to Hufunga. Not as good, I will say. But Jaya Brown is full-on swarm mode 24-7. He loves to hit hard. He loves to lay some freaking wood. Just like Hufunga does. Again, Jair Brown is basically a 200-pound linebacker playing safety. And I do think that, in a pinch, he could play strong safety. Again, you you already have a strong safety in Ufunga, which is why I do have some trepidation for this move, but I will say giving it a B-minus simply because he has amazing ball skills, he's a playmaking safety, he's a player that is seemingly always around the football, and it's very hard to find players like that in a third round that you hope one day can be your starting safety. Or, if push comes to shove, he's playing in the box and you have an amazing lightweight safety playing linebacker that wants to hit hard, wants to be aggressive against an offense, and can really do damage with how much contact he's looking for. So again, B-, minus. I like the move, I like the player, I think Jair Brown has a ton of potential. Where he struggles, I don't necessarily know you know, where that helps San Francisco this year. But his strengths could come up big against people like the Chiefs and the Eagles that have mobile quarterbacks. You have now a, a safety that can actually play in the box, uh, isn't overtly aggressive. Like, yes, he's aggressive, but he's not going to over-pursue. He's someone that is smart. He's not a dumb player that is like, oh, he's not going to get deked out by a read option. This is a guy that might be able to contain those mobile quarterbacks in a playoff game. And I think where San Francisco headed with this pick was, he's one of the last safeties, if not the last safety, to have elite traits on the board. And he's someone that can help us this year against our toughest opponents. I think that's where Jair Brown or, or that's why he came into mind and eventually into play for San Francisco at 87. The next pick, though, this is where things get tricky. Day two, but technically day one for San Francisco of the NFL draft was uh, very tricky because first pick, Jair Brown, okay, cool, I can talk myself into it, I can see where they landed with Jair Brown. The next pick, though, had me and many other Niner fans saying, what the heck are we doing? But just like Jair Brown, and arguably even more because it did, t- it, it did take more coercing from myself to go, okay, like, I guess I understand. And it actually did take the next day, Sunday morning, or excuse me, Saturday morning, for me to go, okay, that pick makes a lot more sense now. And that pick is 99, Jake Moody. And kicker out of Michigan. And... When I saw this pick on the board, I think, like many of you, many other fans out there, it was, we're taking a kicker? Like, what the heck are we doing? And, again, come Sunday, come Saturday morning, once New England took a kicker, it was like, okay, 
now I understand why San Francisco made this pick. Did they want to pick a kicker in the third round? Probably not. But knowing the Patriots were right there, chomping at the bit to take a kicker, they figured, okay, we have Zane Gonzalez, who he isn't the most successful kicker in football. He's our right now our only kicker on the roster. Uh, we don't feel comfortable going into the year with him. And despite it being 99th and the third highest position for a kicker to be taken since 2005, right behind Mike Nugent from the Bengals and Robert Draft Bust Aguayo for the Buccaneers, we're going to take Jake Moody, the best kicker in college football over his time at Michigan. And again, fans were an uproar. Even I said, a kicker? And I put the Jonah Hill meme where he's like, um, oh, oh my goodness, like what are we doing? But now I get it. Because if he's kicking field goals come playoff time and he's hitting them, and he is hitting game-winning field goals against the Packers and the Saints in New Orleans, and he's hitting game-winning field goals, you know, against Seattle and the Eagles maybe, like, this pick can easily pay for itself, and it can actually make a lot of sense. That being said, if Jake Moody is not Justin Tucker, if he is not the best kicker in football for five 10 years, and he is not somebody you can point to and say, wow, that is one of the best kickers. He is clutch in big moments. He has some big cojones. This is going to be one of the most scrutinized picks of many in the Kyle Shanahan-John Lynch tenure. Because of the players on the board, and a lot of this goes for the next pick too, that I have even bigger gripes with. I like Jair Brown. I talked myself into the Jake Moody pick, but if Jake Moody is an elite, like Justin Tucker was an undrafted free agent. Robbie Gold, the same thing. Like kicker is the hardest position to predict. It's one of the hardest positions to transition to from college to football because these guys can be great in college and just be awful in, in, in the NFL and vice versa. You can have an undrafted free agent kicker become the greatest kicker of all time in Baltimore and a bona fide Hall of Famer. So if Jake Moody isn't that, and you're sitting here in three, four years, and he's not on the roster, this should be, or at least could be, one of the most scrutinized picks in the Lynch and Shanahan regime because of who was on the board at the time. And I know what Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch said, that, you know, there was no tackles on the board that we felt could unseat or become a starter year one. I understand that. I don't agree with it, but I get that train of thought. Let's get a kicker who we believe is going to start for us. We have a very rich roster, a great roster, one of the best in football, arguably. I would say number two post the draft, knowing Brock Purdy could be hurt, knowing Trey Lance is a question mark, thinking maybe Sam Darnold's your starting quarterback for a small portion of the year. And the Eagles just did what they do. Howie Roseman's a god, and they built up the team. That being said, okay, you have a great roster. Taking a kicker. But on the draft board is Blake Freeland, tackle BYU, and Nick Saladari from Old Dominion. And I'm sitting there, okay, look, you didn't take a tackle. You have another pick to come at 101. It's one pick away. You can still take one. I think everybody in their mother was expecting, okay, either a top-end tight end two who really wasn't there at that time, or a tackle. Another position of need for the Niners. And they take a tight end, and you go, okay, who is it? And then the, the music happens, doon 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 and it's Cameron Latou, or Latou, excuse me, from Alabama. And I sat there, I just, I just covered my face, and I said, what? Okay, you take a kicker, Okay, I can talk myself into it, but now you're taking a fifth round, sixth round developmental prospect that is the most vanilla tight end in this draft class. Like, I can argue that the players they got as undrafted free agents have more potential than Cameron Latu. Now, to give him credit, he has transitioned to tight end recently. At Alabama, but look, <laughs> I'm sorry. A team like San Francisco that at least needs 
tackle depth. You're going to take a tight end that I think is not going to have an impact this year. And again, I get you have Charlie Warner. I get you have Ross Dwelly. I just do not understand this pick whatsoever. Because later, they take Braden Willis, who many of us were mocking in the third round. Now, what do we know? He's a you know sixth round pick, seventh round pick. But you take Cameron Latu, who, if you're at the ice cream bar, you got Brenton Strange. You know, he he's the chocolate chip cookie dough. And you have other guys like Michael Mayer and Dalton Kincaid who were like your favorite with the sprinkles and then got all the toppings on top of it. And you get to Cameron Latu. He's freaking vanilla. And he's not vanilla bean. He ain't vanilla swirl. He is, I'm a two-year-old child and I don't know what any other flavors I like. Cameron Latu, give me vanilla. With no cone and a pink spoon from Baskin Robbins. There's no cherries on top. There's no whipped cream. There's no hot fudge. He is vanilla. And I'm sorry, once you hit the age of three, you're like, Hey mom, hey dad, can I have a topping on this? Because it's not good enough for me anymore. Now vanilla is okay. I like the vanilla flavor. But at tight end, backing up George Kittle, knowing that you would like to either alleviate Kittle in the passing game or the blocking game, Cameron Latou does nothing like that. Now, Braden Willis does later in the draft. Cameron Latou does nothing like that for this team. And I don't know how you justify to a fan base, which again, third-round pick, like there really isn't much pressure behind a third-round pick most years. This year... Because you traded a ton of picks for Trey Lance, who's done nothing for this team, outside of winning one game against Houston, which, okay, cool, we'll see what happens, hopefully he's still great, and you got Christian McCaffrey, who's the best running back in football. You don't pitch to the third round now, and you take a kicker, which, oh, okay, and then you take a vanilla tight end, who you might have to stash on your practice squad, because he might not be better than Dwelly and Warner, and even Braden Willis, year one. Now look, I want to clarify here and say I'm not hating on any of these players. I want them to succeed. This is my evaluation. If I'm wrong, I will eat all the crow in the world. In fact, I want to be wrong when I criticize a player. Because that means they went out there, they put in the hard work, and they went out and they crushed it, they got better, they exceeded the expectation I had for them. Go out and do that. I want that for every player to get drafted on the Niners and really everywhere else. I want no one to fail at what their dream is. But <laughs> Cameron Latu in the third round when you need tackle depth does not make sense. I'm sorry Kyle Shanahan. I'm sorry John Lynch. I'm sorry George Kittle. I know he's your boy at tight end U. I do not care. This was... The worst pick in the draft for the San Francisco 49ers. Now again, that could change come training camp and OTAs and preseason, and I can sit there and go, man, I was wrong. But right now, you know, two days removed from the NFL draft, I'm sitting here saying, what in the world was this? Because later, like, it's not like Latou has all this potential. And I think that's what bothers me. Because if he had potential of a super raw you're like, okay, he just needs time, but the value could be there in one to two years when Kittle's 32 years old, 33 years old, and Latou picks it up, and you're like, man, that's our tight end number two slash tight end number one once Kittle's out of here. That's not Latou whatsoever. He's another player. That's all he is. And that's the frustrating thing because there was David Allen on the board from Clemson. Like, there were some players you could have taken at tight end that were still on the board in the 5th and 6th round, and they did that with Willis, but it's who you left on the board here. Blake Freeland, excuse me, and Nick Salvaderi. I understand if Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch do not believe they were going to unseat Colton McKivitz as your right tackle. They ain't beaten out Trent Williams, and if they didn't think they had a good chance to beat out McKivitz, I get it. Okay? Cool? Fine. But... If you look at San Francisco's depth at tackle, it's a freaking nightmare. Like, if Spencer Burford is your right guard, who I, I understand many people think he can swing out to right tackle, I don't think that's going to happen. 
I think he's your right guard, and if he struggles, you have John Feliciano. That's probably the inside depth you have with Jason Poe potentially in there somewhere. Your backup tackles this year are Matt Pryor and Jalen Moore. And it's not like Colton McKivitz has been you know, the epitome of excellence. Yes, he filled in for Trent Williams a couple games down the stretch in huge games you had to get dubs in in 2021. And he was okay in those games. I think you have to give a little more credit to Kyle Shanahan and Jimmy Garoppolo getting that ball out quick, being smart with the football, understanding you do not have an anchor on Trent Williams on your left side. I don't think McKivitz is bad, but I do like he's a downgrade from Mike McGlinchey, who many fans, myself not included, hated. It wasn't great in pass blocking. I get it. And Colton McKivitz could come along and we all say, man, we were wrong. Look at Jake Brendel. Everyone said, Alex Mack, you're going to Jake Brendel? He was a Pro Bowl alternate this year. Colton McKivitz could surprise us. Okay, that's fine. My issue isn't that they trust Colton McKivitz. My issue is, one, Colton McKivitz better be good. But if he's not good, he better be freaking healthy. Because if he's not healthy, and you're playing Matt Pryor and Jalen Moore, and you left Blake Freeland who can at least come in and play immediately in a pinch, or Nick Salvaderi, who can do the exact same thing and be a backup right tackle year one while he learns for a year, puts on his weight, and gains experience. But instead, you're playing Jalen Moore, who has been, in my opinion, one of the worst offensive linemen in the NFL whenever he's asked to come in. Every time you see Jalen Moore on the field, it's instant sack, instant penalty. He's not good. He is the worst offensive lineman on this team. And if he's asked to be your backup right tackle, and it's not like Trent Williams has been you know, this perfect form of health. I love Trent. He's the best left tackle in football. He's a future Hall of Famer. That being said, he's missed time. Who's your backup left tackle? Matt Pryor and, like, and Jalen freaking Moore. Like, they are not setting themselves up for success. I understand they have a bunch of undrafted guys. Julia Fisher, who is a fifth to sixth round pick value. I know he's here now. I think he'll make the roster because other guys are so bad. That being said, I just don't like the idea of taking a vanilla prospect at a position that technically you want somebody with higher potential than Warner and Dwelly at. But you don't necessarily need right now. And it makes it even worse knowing you got Braden Willis late in this draft that can alleviate some of the blocking pressure off of George Kittle. And I think that's where everything kind of culminates. And it's like, so you arguably got a better player late in the draft at the exact same position. You passed on a position of valuable need at depth at tackle. And you got a vanilla player that may not even be an impact this year. Like, that's not good enough for me. Now, thankfully, thankfully, my F grade on this, again, Jair Brown, B-, Jake Moody, I'll give it a C+. If he's hitting playoff field goals for game winners, we're good there. Wipe it off, throw it off my shoulder, whatever. Cameron Latou, I'm giving it an F+. If you can even do that. I'll give him a plus because I think there might be something there that's like, okay, like, you can justify it. I don't think he's a great player. I don't think he's an awful player. He's just a, eh, kind of player. That's all he is. I'll give him an F. <laughs> I hate saying that because it's not Latou's fault. It's, it's, it's not his fault San Francisco drafted him at 101. If he was picked with the 253rd pick, I go, okay, he's a fine vanilla tight end. Even if he was picked in the fifth round, I can go, okay, fine. He's an average tight end at best. Great. Cool. But you're picking the third round when there was positional value there instead. Don't like it. Thankfully, their day number three was so much better. Pick 155, Daryl Luter Jr., South Alabama. I love this pick. 
Yes, he's one of their top 30 visits. Yes, he's a player I had mocked to them later on in this draft, so pat myself on the back a little bit. I love this pick. Uh, the reason why, and I'll give it a B plus, is because he's great in man coverage. They desperately need that. He's going to be nickel depth instantly. He's unafraid of contact. He's long. He's lengthy. Like he's what you want, and he's what this secondary has been lacking or is lacking now that Jimmy Ward's not there, now that Emmanuel Mosley's not there. Like he can come in and he he can be your cornerback number four day one. Like he can unseat Ambry Thomas, boom bang, you're out of here. And your cornerbacks are Mooney Ward, Lenore, Isaiah Oliver, Daryl Luter. And you're like, great, like this is what we want. We have a really good man coverage guy. A really good defense behind him. He's young. Like, the one thing I love about Daryl Luter is, is that he he deepens the depth the secondary desperately needed. Because you have Samuel Womack, who's probably going to be outside depth this year. Um, I know he wants to play nickel, or, or, or the team had him there last year, and he was okay, but eventually got benched. Lenore came in, started there for you know almost the entire of the year until Moza got hurt and then moved out moved to the outside. But I think Luter, what he does is he just deepens the bench that needed to be deepened. Like we're talking about draft needs and value. This was a need, and I think they hit a double. That could be a triple, that hopefully is a home run. Because when you lose Jimmy Ward. When you have Isaiah Oliver, a, a bigger, slower nickel cornerback, who I do like a lot, who's also long and lengthy and is unafraid of contact and can keep up with slot receivers because of his length, Luter's kind of the same way, but he adds a little more speed there. So if Oliver struggles, and I don't think he will, but if he does or even gets hurt, I do think Luter, although inexperienced, he can come in. It's not going to be a nightmare. Whereas last year, you had Ambry Thomas, and you have Womack, and you're like, oh, we don't know about these guys very much, and there's hype behind them, but it didn't really bring it together like you wanted them to. I think Luter can come in, and he can beat your cornerback number four, while Womack really solidifies his gunner role on special teams, and Ambry Thomas, if he don't get it together, it might be bye-bye. Like, I, 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 I am that much sold in on and bought in on Daryl Luter, and he's long, He's lengthy, unafraid of contact, great in man coverage. This defense desperately needed that. Now, pick 173, Robert Beal. I like Robert Beal from Georgia. Uh, I would give this pick probably a C, a solid C. Um, He didn't get much playing time on a really, really, really good Georgia defense, so it's really hard to kind of, you know, put a finger on what he might be, what he could be, but... What he does possess is he's a speed rusher, he plays fast, he plays hard, he had a really good 10-yard split. Like, I put on Twitter that if you want Chris Kosarek to be able to mold somebody, it's someone like Robert Beal, who has a high motor, is not going to quit. It may take him one or two years to get it together, but you give him someone like Chris Kosarek that can make, you know, a piece of crap into a diamond... This is a perfect place for him. You didn't see him much. Kind of hidden behind the scenes behind Nolan Smith and Jalen Carter and a great Bulldogs defense. But when Kirby Smart... And I always get, you know, kind of I kind of pull back a little bit because whenever a college coach is like, you got to take my guy. He's a great player. I'm like, well, of course you're going to say that. You coached him for three, four, two years, right? And we heard Nick Saban do this for Ruben Foster. And it totally threw off what San Francisco did with Bama picks. They just said, we're done. We ain't taking them. Now, they kind of changed their mind more recently, but they really put them off early in their beginnings in 2018 and 2017. And so, with this pick and Kirby Smart, who they have no reason to wonder, is he lying to us? I do think that, let's say it even, like, if Kirby Smart didn't say, yes, pick Beal, he's great. I would still like this pick a lot because, again, this team has been missing a speed rusher ever since D. Ford went out of town and got hurt and eventually got cut. Um, Ebukam was good. 
He didn't have many pass rushing moves. He wasn't that quick. He was a fine, solid edge rusher, and he's going to be good for the Colts. Amenahu was the inside-outside guy. Arden Key kind of similar. They, they were good players. They had impact plays, but they were not speed-rushing defensive ends. That is what Beal is. And I do think, I really, really, really do think with one to two years under Kosarek, he can be something that, he's not a starter, but he can be a really good rotational piece, high motor, play him early downs, get him in the backfield. And I do think even this year, where you have a Drake Jackson, you have a you know Cleland Farrell, you need someone across from Nick Bosa. And we'll get into this a little later. I do think San Francisco has something up their sleeve, but also I do think that with time, Beal could be a really good depth piece for this defense. I'm not saying 10 sacks. I'm talking like three, four sacks a year. You know, maybe a good year he has six. Like his ceiling is a more explosive Ebucom, but his floors are obviously a lot lower than that. And we're talking, you know, you know, day three pick. You know, he really has to work on his craft. He's gonna take a while to get going, but he could, could be something special when it comes to a speed rusher across from Nick Bosa. Again, I do not think he's a starting player, but as a pass rushing down only kind of guy, that might be where his money's made, and that's not a bad thing. It's actually a really good thing for a player like him to learn from Bosa and Chris Kosarek and and really kind of be a valuable, like, everybody wants that high-motor guy, and they always miss him once he's gone, and I do think that like Steve Wilkes and Chris Kosarek, their hands are all over this draft class because every single defensive player they picked is either has really good ball skills or they just play extremely, extremely fast. And I do think that's what this is. And the next pick carries over as well because they went out there and I really wanted Servicey Dennis, who eventually went to the Buccaneers from Pittsburgh. He was he's kind of this gray Greenlaw 2.0, but the consolation prize really is a certified draft steal. I would give pick 216 D Winters an A minus. I think like you let D Winters slip that far with this defense and Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw, uh, like you are essentially putting a a gem, a player that has a high motor. Sometimes the motor is running too fast, mind you. But you have a player who, like, go back and watch his film when TCU played Michigan in the playoffs. That was one of the best, like, tape ever. <laughs> ever. Like, all year long, D. Winters put up amazing... Like, in that game, that may have been the best tape all season long by any linebacker. Like, his potential is the best linebacker in this draft. And I get it. That may not be that high, but I can argue that with the Zizal Shire out the building, with players like Demetrius Flanagan Falls, kind of relegated to special teams, but also don't forget, he was kind of released, then brought back on a cheaper contract. And you have guys like Oren Burks, who are, you know, kind of the, the backup Fred Warner, but are also special teams players in himself. And you have, you know, McCrary Ball, who has high potential, but also as a safety turn into a linebacker who you hope can be something. I think D. Winters has a good chance to be linebacker number three, or at least this year if they don't think he's ready enough towards the end of the season. He's your LB4, your LB5, special teams player instantly that can play quick, he plays hard, he wants to learn, and I think you gave him two of the best linebackers to learn from in Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw. And I think this year, I know many fans are saying he can beat Dre Greenlaw's replacement. I see it more as that might take two to three years. Like, once Greenlaw's contract is done with, I can see D. Winters being Dre Greenlaw in this defense. I really can. But this year, I do see him being a special teams player with a really high upside. Like, on a defense that has so much high energy... Like, again, all around, you got Nick Bosa, Warner, Greenlaw, you know, Javon Hargrave now, you got Eric Armstead, you got Hufanga, now Jair Brown, Tishon Gibson. A lot of exciting players that like to play quick, like to hit hard. 
that just like their mind is just ball, 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 ball. All they see is the ball. All they want is the ball. That's D. Winters. I think if he can become a little more disciplined, still play fast, but be disciplined and play fast. And I think that will come with time on the field behind Warner, behind Greenlaw, behind linebacking coach Johnny Holland. Like, D. Winters really is a certified steal, A minus draft grade for me. And I am really, really excited for what he can become in this defense. The next pick. This is where I point to Cameron Latou and say, what the heck was that? <laughs> because in pick 247, San Francisco gets this like really good blocking tight end that is aggressive, that isn't afraid to get his hands dirty in Braden Willis from Oklahoma. And again, like immediately when this pick went through, you know, my mind said, okay, you just got Braden Willis who can alleviate a lot of the blocking that George Kittle has to do. Why did you pick Cameron Latou when you didn't have to? Like, this pick almost, like, in my brain goes, okay, the earlier picks don't make sense now. But with Braden Willis himself, I really love this pick. Because San Francisco thought, when they drafted Charlie Warner... He was going to be their blocking tight end. Like That was the thought process. He can be the tight end number two. It's a you know, day three pick. He can be our T2 behind George Kittle. He can alleviate some of the blocking pressure from him. And we can let George Kittle loose in the passing game. And that didn't happen. Warner and Dwelly kind of fell off after that. Or after 2020, 2021. They just never got it together. And people were saying, this guy is cut, that guy's cut. There's a reason they brought in Jordan Reed. The thought process was, okay, you bring in Jordan Reed, and he can be your number two receiving tight end to let Kittle block more and to give you more weapons. Now, I don't think Braden Willis is Jordan Reed 2.0, but I do think they want to alleviate George Kittle's blocking. If you can get, like, we saw what George Kittle did late in the year with Brock Purdy as quarterback. He was the best receiving tight end in football. He reestablished himself as the best receiving weapon late in the season. I said it, I'll say it again. George Kittle with Brock Purdy at quarterback. He was finally back in the end zone. He was getting big chunk plays. Like The explosiveness of George Kittle was back. He was no longer a inline tight end blocking because the offensive line was falling apart in the playoffs. He was... No, give me two touchdowns. Give me a touchdown a game again. I think that's what this pick is about. Is that okay? Whether it's Sam Darnold or Trey Lance, and hopefully it's Brock Purdy and hopefully he's healthy. But if he's healthy, our plan is to let Kittle loose. Over the middle. Kittle over the middle. Like, they want to let him loose in the passing game. And I do think Braden Willis as a blocker can do this and... He's not too bad in the passing game either. I mean, we're talking, you know, red zone stuff. Like, he's not afraid to go up and get it. He isn't a, he's not an amazing pass catcher, but he's not bad. And I think there's a lot to build off of what Braden Willis is. And I think fans should be excited for what he could be. Like, like, like PFF, Mike Renner, many other players had a Braden Willis ranked like 60 prospects higher, Dan Brugler from The Athletic, prospects higher than Cameron Latu, which again, it just keeps pointing back to what the heck that pick was for. Why'd you make that pick? But I think they can rectify it by saying, okay, if Latu was our project player, we did get an instant impact tight end late in the draft. Now look, the next couple picks, or just kind of whatever picks from you have Ronnie Bell from Michigan, and you have Jalen Graham. Now, at 255, San Francisco picks Jalen Graham, a linebacker from Purdue. They said they were going to pick Jalen Graham before D. Winters. Like, he was going to be that pick, and they got them both. Now, Jalen Graham, to me, again, he is a safety, <laughs> playing linebacker. But the way Purdue used him 
was in the nickel. And I do think he's going to be like he's going to be a tweener where okay, he's fast enough to guard a slot receiver or you know good enough to, you know, guard a tight end in the nickel. He's flexible that way. Or is he going to be a linebacker? Like I think you're going to have to pick one, but what San Francisco likes to do is get these physically talented fast linebackers and kind of see what they can do in training camp and preseason, let them guard Kittle and Ayuk and, you know, the rest of the receivers on the roster. And I wouldn't be surprised if at one point we're not seeing Jalen Graham guard Ronnie Bell, the guy picked two picks ahead of him from Michigan. Now, Ronnie Bell, he's an interesting one because he's really good after the catch. He has a great ball-carrying moves, but... He's coming off a really, really, really serious injury. And that's why he fell. I know many fans were like, receiver, he's not going to play this year. And I would agree. But what Ronnie Bell can give this offense, he's not going to be a Debo. He's not going to replace Sayuk. I don't even think, like, I know many fans are also saying that he can replace Jawan Jennings. They're very different players. Very different players. And I do think, like, we know Kyle Shanahan. Ayuk was in the doghouse for a small period of time. He was super hard on Debo Samuel for his rookie season, but he had to play. Ayuk had to play in 2020 um, because of there being nobody else on the roster. Kyle Shanahan's probably not going to play Ronnie Bell whatsoever. He's probably going to be a practice squad stash for a year or two while he hopefully gets back to full health after the injury and can continue to rehab and learn the system. Like, I would not be surprised if we didn't see Ronnie Bell for an entire year. Because San Francisco is hoping coming into this year, it's Debo, Ayuk, Danny Gray, Jawan Jennings, and maybe if you're lucky, it's Willie Sneed, or it's Chris Conley. And you're just hoping, you know, one of these guys, and and, and McLeod. Like, those are kind of your, 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 your five, six, seven guys there that are veterans and have value to the roster. I don't think Ronnie Bell brings value this year to the roster. I think this is a, hey, stash pick, practice squad guy. And so is, you know, let's not get it twisted. So is Graham. Like, I don't think either one of those guys are making, you know, the the, the main roster, you could say. But I do think that what Ronnie Bell brings is what Kyle Shanahan likes. He's a Bigger body, not width-wise, not, I hate this word, but not girth-wise, but he's tall. He's not afraid of contact. He's good after the catch. You get him the ball over the middle, he can make something happen with it. It's kind of a a luxury pick late in the draft. Like you, you don't need a receiver this year. You really don't. Because you're hoping, again, Danny Gray, McLeod, Jennings, Debo, Ayuk. Those are your five. And if someone gets hurt... It's Willie Sneed, who's a special teams blocking receiver. And you have someone like Chris Conley on a one-year deal that can actually be a veteran presence if something crazy happens. Like Ronnie Bell does feel like a stash pick for a year. So going back over all the picks, Jair Brown, I'll give it a B minus. Jake Moody, I'll give it a C plus. Cameron Latou, it's not even your fault, but I'm giving you an F. Daryl Luter, I'll give you a B plus. Robert Beal. I'll give you a C. D. Winters, an A-. minus. Braden Willis, I'll give you a B. Ronnie Bell and Jalen Graham, I'll give you both Cs because they're just there. There's going to be no impact this year. I do think Ronnie Bell has a better chance of actually doing something for San Francisco than Jalen Graham because you don't need eight linebackers, but we've seen over time, Debo gets hurt, John Jennings gets hurt, Kyle Shanahan wants physicality out of those receivers. If someone goes down, I still don't think Ronnie Bell is going to play this year, but he could be something because of what he can bring after the catch. Over the middle of the field. That's Ronnie Bell. That's what he does well. That rhymed. I'm sorry. It is what it is. But I would grade San Francisco's entire draft class as a C+. There's some... Really intriguing picks, a high upside player like Jair Brown and D. Winters, guys who can make, you know, maybe aren't a draft need, 
but can really help this defense take it to the next level in their strengths, that's Jair Brown. You have a player like D. Winters, who is probably not going to play starting a lot this year, but the upside is Dre Greenlaw 2.0 in a couple years, be a starting linebacker type player for this defense. Then you have players like Braden Willis, who actually will probably play the most this year outside of Jair Brown on the offensive side of things. But then you have people like Jake Moody, who's a kicker, that has to work out. Cameron Latou, he'll probably work out, to be honest with you, and he'll probably be a fine tight end number two, tight end number three, who just is there, he exists, he does nothing insanely well, but does nothing really awful. He's just vanilla. But you got two picks sandwiched in there, and you got projects like Robert Beal and Ronnie Bell and Jalen Graham. So I would give it a C plus. I think this this draft was strictly depth for San Francisco, building upon their strengths already. I truly believe had Brock Purdy been healthy, we are staring at Niners versus Chiefs come Super Bowl time. It didn't happen. It sucks. It's the past. But I think San Francisco views it the same way. I really think they view it the same way. So let's build on our strengths, get a couple guys in here with some high upside that can be here for two, three, four years and be really good for us in that time frame, and let's get a Lombardi trophy. That being said, San Francisco made a move before the draft that made me say, hmm, why, why are you doing that? What does that mean? Could that be this? Could it be that? I don't know. But it had me thinking. And... The instant response in my head was, well, they have to pay the draft class somehow, and that's probably what's going to happen. But I do think what San Francisco did in restructuring Christian McCaffrey's contract, freeing up eight-plus million dollars, I do think there may have been a reason for that. Because in the third round, I think the consensus, the collective thought process was, okay, you need... You need a safety, a tight end, and an edge rusher. And many of the better edge rushers were off the board. Yaya Diaby was my pick. He went to the Buccaneers. But there was Isaiah McGuire on the board, and so many fans said, What are you doing? Why didn't you get him? I do think there might be something else going on. Because if you're on Twitter throughout the draft, I think it was Tom Pelissero said, Hey, just a reminder, folks, you know, once the draft is over, come XX date, teams don't get comp picks once this once players sign. I said, oh, since San Francisco can still sign a premier edge rusher without giving the team they signed them from a comp pick. Well, that's interesting. Oh, and they freed up eight plus million dollars, giving them around eleven million dollars in cap space. Okay, interesting. So who's out there? Oh, Leonard Floyd's out there. Jadavion Clowney is a free agent still. And Yannick Ngakwe, who somehow has not been signed yet, is still out there. And if you like none of those players, I'd be ringing the Vikings, who they traded up for Jair Brown with. I'd be, hey, what do you want for Zaire Smith? Or excuse me, Zadarius Smith. Not Zaire. Zadarius Smith. Like, Zedaria Smith has been a player that's like, I want to play here, now I don't want to play here. I want to play here, now I'm done. Like, he already wants out of Minnesota. Why not give them a call, say, hey, we'll give you a fifth, a sixth round pick, knowing you already have your compensation picks or, or compensatory picks locked in for next year. Like, those are already done. Go out and get yourself an edge rusher, a speed rusher, across from Nick Bosa, and make it even deeper. Imagine whether it's Ngakwe, or Clowney, or Zadarius Smith. Yes, you cannot give these guys massive contracts. You are going to have to restructure Zadarius Smith's contract. But, in Ngakwe, a Clowney, a Leonard Floyd, personally, I want Ngakwe. Can't get him, go get Smith. Can't get him, go Clowney. Can't get him, call Floyd. That's my ranking. That's how I like it. That being said... You give me Nick Bosa, Javon Hargrave, Eric Armstead, and then you give me a combination of Zadarius Smith, Clellan Farrell, Unique Ngagwe, Drake Jackson, Robert Beale Jr. <laughs> like, 
there's a lot that San Francisco can still do. And I think if they make one of these moves, I think it makes that defense even more dangerous. Like right now, it's like they need an edge rusher. They can still get a premier edge rusher probably for the cheap now. Like, you don't think Ngakwe wants to be a place where he can win? Whether it, it, it can be a one-year deal. One-year deal, we'll give you $6 million, add a couple void years in there, and we're good to go. Lower cap hit, maximize your value, go sign a big contract elsewhere, and we can hope that guys like Farrell and Drake Jackson take a really big step this year, and you're looking at Hargrave, Armstead, and Bosa, and Jackson. But why not add in somebody else? Like, San Francisco has never gone into a season with, you know, I don't want to say a big question mark, but they've never gone into a year without that defensive line being solidified. Yes, there were guys like Arden Key and Maurice Hurst. Like, who are these guys? But there always was an Amenihue who they got for a six-round pick, an Ebukam there to kind of go, okay, if the other question marks fail, we know this guy's going to work out. San Francisco does not have the guy that's, this guy's going to work out. I think they are going to get an Ngakwe, a Clowney, a Smith, a Floyd, simply because they do not have the, it's going to work out kind of guy. If the question marks, if the potential, you know, high potential guys don't work out, like Jackson or Austin Bryant, who came over from the Lions, I think they need one more piece. And I do think it should be a high-end edge rusher they can get for the low. That's it, folks. We're wrapping up. We're done. Niners draft class. Another season of the 49er Access podcast has kicked off. Stay tuned for more posts, more live streams, more podcasts. It's coming your way nonstop this Niner season. Hopefully, we're going to training camp again this year. Hopefully we can see Trey Lance ascend and Brock Purdy get healthy and San Francisco continue their dominance of the NFC West. Again, don't forget to like, share, subscribe, leave that review. Tell your friends about the podcast. You can also see our promo code is right here on the screen. 49ers access, SeatGeek.com. Save yourself $20 off again on your first purchase at SeatGeek.com. Dot com our fanatics link right here you want niners here you want a jair brown jersey you can get it right there with a little discount and also our social media down below follow us on instagram 49ers.access is the instagram 49ers underscore access is the twitter my name is sterling bennett thank you for watching thank you for listening and until next time stay faithful